right, y'all. I'm going to tell you right up front. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is, this is a lot. And it's, it's, it's a good lot. Uh, an awful good lot. Um, John Piper says that these 11 verses are some of the toughest in the Bible. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah okay, thanks for that, Piper. Um, but no, we're going to dig in, and I, I'm super excited about where we're headed here. And I, I hope, um, hope that we walk away from today very encouraged by what we see. So we're going to start with verse 1, of course. Um, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So we start here, chapter 4, and the first word of chapter 4 is therefore, which of course calls our attention back to what was said before it. Um, And a couple of weeks ago, we saw the end of chapter 3, which was the recounting of the wanderers in the wilderness in the Exodus who provoked God during that Exodus through what they did and suffered and what they suffered. And it was all for one reason, why they did what they did, why they suffered what they suffered. And the reason for it all was unbelief. They were not able to enter the rest of the promised land, those who were leaving During Moses' time, during the Exodus, they weren't able to enter the rest of the promised land due to unbelief. And that's simply stated there at the end of uh, Hebrews chapter 3. So now, after seeing what caused the downfall of all those who failed to enter God's promised rest, the writer says to his readers, therefore... Now there's a pattern if 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 you pay close attention throughout the book of Hebrews, and we've said these warning passages are not there to scare you. They're there to push your gaze more toward Jesus. And what you see over and over and over and over in Hebrews is the bad example, and then the writer saying, but not you. Okay? These people did this, but that's not you. And that's important, because if we just take that passage out of the end of chapter 3, we're like, oh my goodness, there's a danger here, and maybe I'm one of those who would have fell in the wilderness. And over and over and over again, the writer says, that's true of them, it's not true of you. And so know that going into this, this therefore is a warning passage. And we've said time and time and time again, these warning passages are not there to scare you. Now put a pin in that, because we're going to see something in a minute. They failed to enter due to unbelief. Therefore, okay, knowing that, since they failed due to unbelief, therefore, readers, while the promise of God's rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Okay. Um, hmm. So, I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me go, well... That kind of sounds different than everything we've said up until now, right? So everything I just said about not being afraid and, 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 and what's this saying? So God has promised rest for His people. We're going to see through the rest of these verses that this promise of rest has always been there. And all through history, even during what could have literally been the most involved God has ever been in physical history during the Exodus, and Jesus is a different time altogether, but here you've got the invisible God more active in the physical world than maybe any other time. Even during that time, so many 
even those who were called the people of God didn't get to know or enjoy that rest. And it was unbelief that caused them to miss that rest. And what is our response supposed to be to that? Well, what we're going to do here is we're going to read 3.19 and 4.1 together. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, that rest and the promise of it was not taken out of play just because some didn't believe and enter into it. No, the promise of God made of rest in Him is still there. So we, as those who do have faith in Jesus, and therefore are those who live in this rest, we are called to action here. And the action being to do what? And this is where we'll spend most of our time this morning. Therefore, while the promise of His rest still stands, let us rest, rejoice, wipe our brows and go, whew, no, let us fear. Huh, hmm, okay. Not what I would have expected here. How about you? Some of you are going, oh shoot, we are supposed to fear. Stay calm. We're all right. There are all those who failed to enter God's rest because of their unbelief. So you who do believe, let us fear. Let us fear. And just so we know it up front, this is not some weird shade of meaning of fear. It's, it's the Greek word phobeo. Phobia is what we'd say in English. Like arachnophobia. Or fill in the blank of phobia. It means to be afraid of something. As Appalachians, we would say to be scared. That's spelled S K E E R E D. You can leave off that third E if you want, just S K E E R D if you want. That's fine too. We know what you mean. Scared. It means to be afraid. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, let us be afraid. And again, I'll say, if you've been with us any time during this study in Hebrews, you have heard me say many times already that these warning passages aren't meant to scare us. And now the writer's saying, be afraid. Be afraid. Be scared. So what's up? Now remember, we've got to know the person who is saying these things. We've got to know the language that he speaks. And I don't mean Greek. I mean, what's the point of this letter, Right? Is it to scare us? No. To show the superiority and effectiveness of the person and work of Jesus Christ is the point of this whole epistle. To show that Jesus is all we need and that Jesus has done all we need in order to be at peace with God and to inherit His kingdom. And I have said many times that even the warning passages aren't there to scare us into worrying that we're not saved. So is he saying that we should be worried that we're not saved here? That's an easy question. And the answer is no. No. Emphatically. Pound. No. There have already been several passages that speak to our being God's children 
by His doing. Hebrews 2, 14-15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood like Jesus did, He Himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So part of what Jesus came to do was to remove the fear of death, specifically in this passage, to remove fear. Death was once my great opponent. Fear once had a hold of me, we sang this morning. But something happened, right? To take that fear away. Okay, so there's that. We see very clearly here that part of what Jesus did for His people is deliver His people from fear, here the fear of death, after having been subject to lifelong slavery to the fear of death before being delivered. So if Jesus died to free His people from the fear of death, which is a terrible enemy of his people, would the writer then say just a few paragraphs later, but you better be afraid that you're not saved? If he didn't know what he was doing or what he was talking about, or if he was just meandering aimlessly through this, he might say something like that. But this guy is sharp. And he's inspired by the Holy Spirit too. So this is not random. Okay, This is not a mistake. This... Man, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has crafted a literal masterpiece with this letter. It's airtight. It's very well done. So then, why does he say, don't be afraid, and then he says, be afraid? Well, first, look at the wording of our verse in question. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Now, that's a little bit peculiar wording, isn't it? And I do think the ESV nailed it in its literalness. But I think we can look at a couple of different versions to get a better shade of what it means to enter into His rest, to get the shades of meaning. So the Net Bible, the New English Translation, which I've recommended many times to you all, says this, Therefore we must be wary, and that should be afraid, scared, that while the promise of entering His rest remains open, none of you may seem to have come short of it. Okay, that's helpful. And then the NLT, the New Living Translation, says this. God's promise of entering His rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. Aha! Now that is helpful to me. So do you see a little better what's going on here? Starting from the truth that we can't lose our salvation, if you got yourself saved, you could get yourself unsaved. The good news is you didn't get yourself saved. God saved you by His doing, by the work of Christ. And what Caleb said this morning, Jesus was in full control. God announced it 700 years before through Isaiah that this is what was going to happen. So when things looked like they were out of control and that the world had won, God was in firm control. Why? Because He was working His plan. We'll get more of that later. So you can't lose your salvation starting from that point and knowing that the writer is not trying to scare us But to point us to Jesus through these warnings, we can start to figure out what we are to fear. Because we can come short of God's rest now. We can fail to experience God's rest now. Anybody say amen to that? And we should be afraid of that. It should scare us to motivation. Motivation to see Know and experience this promised rest, which is a precious gift of God given to His people from the very beginning. Okay? You should be afraid 
of not experiencing God's rest as a child of God. Not that you don't have it. It's that you're not experiencing it. Day to day, as troubles come, as boredom comes, as good times come, we can very easily fail to experience the full rest of God. And that should scare us. You're like, well, I want to be scared. Well, good. That's what we're going to figure out this morning. Okay? And we'll circle back to this thought um, later in verses and then in application, but we need to press on. Verse 2 is next. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So we saw this in our revisit to 319, right? They were unable to enter because of unbelief. And note that the writer says that what they didn't believe was what? The good news that came to them. And note that that good news is said to have come to them just as it did to us. Now this is important to note. Because who's he talking about? He's talking about the Israelites who were leaving Egypt in the Exodus. And what they received from God through the plagues, through the Exodus, through the law, it was all part of God's good news. That was all gospel work. The Old Testament is as much gospel as the New Testament is. You're like, I don't know about that. Listen, the Old Testament reveals God and His plan. Types and shadows and foretellings of what's going to happen. And yes, it was progressive. And yes, we have the whole progression after the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. But the message they received was good news. The good news that they were to place their faith in God for their salvation. Which is the same good news we received, isn't it? But the message they heard did not benefit them. Why? Because it was insufficient? No. The message didn't benefit them. That good news that came to them didn't benefit them because while hearing the good news, they didn't place their faith in the God who was giving it. The message wasn't united with faith, rendering it useless. And don't miss that. The best news in the world... The mighty Word of God proved useless because it didn't couple with the catalyst of faith in the life of the hearers. Some heard the message and believed in the Exodus. That surely happened. And it saved them. But many, many heard and didn't believe and their dead bodies fell in the wilderness because the message proved fruitless in their faithless lives. The seed was sown but never brought forth fruit due to lack of faith, due to lack of belief. Now, does that scare you? That maybe you're one who hasn't shown faith, who hasn't entered this rest? Well, the writer of Hebrews speaks to that in verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now we're really getting rolling here, okay? We're going to take this in two parts, so be patient with me with this verse. First, I want to take that first clause. For we who have believed enter that rest. Oh, don't miss that. This is so important in this flow of thought. Here's that pattern. They did this, but you. This was what happened to them 
but it's not you. This is what gets to happen for you. Remember, the writer's not trying to scare believers into worrying that they didn't believe. He's not trying to scare them that they're not saved. He's not every head bowed, every eye closed. Raise your, I see that hand. That's not what the writer of Hebrews is doing here. He's not trying to scare them to make a decision. No, he reassures them and us here by pointing out that those who have believed have entered that rest. It's reasserting that fact as fact. For we who have believed enter that rest. And listen, believer, Christian, child of God, brother of Jesus, host of the Holy Spirit, cement that in your heart. For we who have believed enter that rest. Listen, if you have believed, you have entered God's rest. It's spoken as fact. Not a question of whether or not you have believed and may not have the rest. Remember, it's the experience of that peace that we are to fear not having. For we who have believed enter that rest. And note the verb tenses. We who have believed in the past, then we see that we enter, which is a present tense verb with ongoing ramifications. We placed our faith in the finished work of Christ in the past and it affects our present as long as it is called today. As long as now is now. And it's always now. We have entered that rest. We are entering that rest. And we will enter that rest. We will Sing in the house of Zion. We will feast in the house of Zion. It's going to happen. It's our constant state. We are in the rest. We have entered the rest. We are in the rest. We will enter the rest. It's our constant state. And again, we'll look more at this later so we can move on from here. But don't forget that. So now... The writer goes back to God's statement about the unbeliever's failure to enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's a requote, actually a re-requote from Psalm 95, the passage that was referenced, has been referenced since Hebrews 3. He said it in Hebrews 3, 7 to 11, and again revisited a portion of it in 3.15, and now revisits it here again in 4.3. What he's doing is he's given us a commentary on that psalm and how it applies to us. And again, the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. And then he adds to it this thought. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now whose works is he talking about? The psalmist's work? No, no. And we're going to get a little bit wibbly-wobbly here. Any Doctor Who fans? Wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Because once you start talking about time travel, everything is crazy, right? When was the plan of God formed? Eternity passed. When was it finished? Also, eternity passed. Oh, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Revelation 13, 5 to 8. And the beast was given a mouth. This is in the future, our future, right? 
And the beast, or was it? Anyway. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it, the beast, over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Stephen Lawson writes this in comments on Romans 11, which says everything is from God, from Him, through Him, to Him. Listen to what Lawson says. First, the Apostle Paul in Romans 11 writes that all things are from Him. Now listen, here's where we dig in. Lawson goes on to say, This points back to eternity past, when God designed His master plan for whatever would come to pass. God is the author of His eternal purpose from Him, which includes, listen, everything that will occur. Before the foundation of the world, God designed the blueprint for all creation, including the detailed specifications of the earth. Further, he drafted his eternal decree that included everything that would take place within time. Long ago, Lawson writes, God chose his elect. He then entrusted them to his son to secure their salvation. All this pre-planning of creation, history, and salvation is from him. End of quote. When was your salvation finished? In eternity past. Oh, joy. Okay. I don't think I agree with you, sir. Okay, that's fine. Stay with me. Please hear what I'm about to say. We're big God people. And I don't say that to say that other people are small God people. I'm not pointing at other people. God does not plan anything that does not come to pass. Eternity future has always been securely coming by the very plan and work of God Himself. If God designed it in eternity past, it is accomplished. It is accomplished in eternity future. (laughs) Wibbly wobbly, I told you. His works were finished from the foundation of the world. In time... We are seeing the plans and working of God unfold, or as Peter says in 1 Peter 20 to 21, being made manifest. He was foreknown, speaking of Jesus, before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Let me read that again. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Hmm. So now let's go back and read verse 3 in Hebrews 4 again. I'm going to have to back up here, back up, back up. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished 
from the foundation of the world. If we have believed, we have entered into God's rest. And it's all by God's doing, according to God's plan, from eternity past into eternity future. We're going to have to leave that there because we've got too much to cover to linger here long. But again, cement that in your heart. So now what we're going to look at are verses 4 to 8. And what we're going to see here, well, let me read it, then I'll tell you what we're going to see here. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he says, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, God appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now, we're going to try to unpack this as best we can. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. All right, let's see if we can unpack this. So the writer goes to creation to help speak of God's rest from the beginning. Right? We see it in creation. On the seventh day, God rested. For six days, he labored creating this and this is good and this is good and this is good and this is good. This is very good. And on the seventh day, God rested. And He sanctified the seventh day and set it apart as holy. Why would He do that? Because He was tired? God don't get tired. Ever. Never. God's never been, man, I'm glad that week's over. I ain't never worked so hard in all eternity. I hope that's not irreverent. I mean, I'm I'm being silly, right? God doesn't get tired. He's perfect. So why did He do that? Because He had a promise to give His people. A promise of what? Rest. He would later give them a command to rest. He sanctified the seventh day and then come law time, He actually puts it in there in the Big Ten, right? You shall set apart the Sabbath as holy. God just trying to like save wear and tear on their cars? Don't drive a car on the seventh day, your donkeys, whatever. What's going on here? God promised that rest would be available from Him, through Him, from creation. And He exemplified that. After He said it was very good, He rested from all of His works. Now listen, rest comes after a completed work. Have you ever not finished a job and you go to rest and you can't rest because you're like, the job's not done? All I can think about is what I didn't get done. Yeah, I got that ditch dug, but tomorrow I got to lay that pipe. Oh, I can't do it tomorrow. I got something to do. And it just lingers on your brain. God said it is finished. It is very good. And he rested after his complete work. Now, David wrote about that rest in Psalm 95, which we've seen over and over again, mentioned in verses 6 and 7. The time of David writing it means that they still hadn't experienced it. The people in Exodus didn't experience it. They failed to enter his rest. David says at his time, much later in Israel's history, there still remains a rest. And then the writer of Hebrews references Joshua, which came between the Exodus and David. And David's looking back and saying, what even Joshua? Not only did they fail to enter it in in the Exodus time, it didn't happen in Joshua's time when they actually did enter the promised land. Because why? Because the promised land was just another picture of God's rest. It wasn't the rest. 
Now tell that to the Israelites who had wandered 40 years in the desert. Like, seems pretty restful to me. We're glad to be here. And it was what? A type, a shadow, a picture of the rest that God had talked about at creation. And they didn't get it under Moses. They didn't get it under Joshua. They didn't get it under David. And if you talk to a a Hebrew of that day, they would look back at Moses and say, Moses was a great leader. Moses brought us out of Egypt. Look at Joshua. Joshua conquered the promised land. He got us into the promised land. Look at David. He was the greatest king we ever had. We were safe on every side. And they would point to those episodes and say, God gave us rest from our slavery. God gave us rest from the inhabitants of the land who were there to persecute us. And God gave us rest and exalted us as the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Those were good times. And the writer of Hebrews says, they were just pictures. They were just pictures of the rest that God foreshadowed when He rested from all of His works. Were all the works of Israel done at the time of David? No. Are they done now? Again, let's get eschatological here. I don't know, okay? I don't know what to tell you there. The point is this. In this passage in Hebrews, none of those things which were great events, and and people would point back to and say, that was the rest of God. The writer of Hebrews says, none of it was the rest of God. It was pointing us forward to a day when they could have rest. They could enjoy the same rest that God foreshadowed back in Genesis at creation if they would place their faith in Him. But, it says here, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, which came from what? Unbelief. They didn't experience the rest. Even in those great episodes, those great epochs, those great leaders of Israel, those leaders couldn't bring them into rest because God had something greater than the Exodus. God had something greater than the promised land. God had something greater than Israel being exalted as the greatest nation on the face of the earth. He wanted them to be able to rest from all of their work just like He had rested from all of His work. What's that look like? Verses 9 and 10 of Hebrews 4. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever oh, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works as God did from His. This may be my favorite verse, two verses in Hebrews right now. That'll change next week. Let me read it again. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God for whoever has entered God's rest through belief, through faith, has also rested from His works. (laughs) As God did from His. Oh, church. Today, The rest is available for those who believe. The same rest that God imaged forth at the beginning of time when He rested from all of His works showing that this plan to redeem His people was firmly in place by His doing to the point that He could metaphorically, anthropologically kick back. Because the plan was done. Now it hadn't all unfolded 
and we hadn't seen it with our eyes, but from eternity past, God says, this is done. To show you that it's done, I'm a rest from all my works. Oh. <laughs> and what he invokes here, of course, is the Sabbath. But the word that he uses here for Sabbath is only used one time in the New Testament, and it's right here. And the word in Greek is sabbatismos. And that means perpetual rest. A rest that will never come to an end. Listen to me. If you are working to earn or to keep God's favor, you are not resting. But there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This is the gospel. Herb Hodges would say, put down your deadly doings and rest in the finished work of Christ. Everybody's working for the weekend, right? That's not funny. <laughs> it's true, right? Man, I love Friday 3 o'clock. I love it. Why? My work week is done. I got plenty going on, things to do. My work week's done. And I shut down the computers at my job. I get in my vehicle, and I've got a Friday playlist, y'all. And it's got like Hall and & Oates and Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston. <laughs> And I've got the windows down and my hair, head, head's blowing in the wind. My beard's blowing in the wind. Why? Why is that happy? I don't have to work anymore right now. There remains, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works just like God did from His. Oh, church, rest from your works and rest in the finished work of Christ. This verse gives us an explanation, Donald Guthrie says, of the Sabbath rest. It is God's rest, listen, and therefore has no lesser pattern. God's people share His rest. Guthrie says what He did... They do. By becoming identified with Him, they enter into His experiences. There is no doubt that the writer is implying that the believer's present Sabbath rest is as much a reality as God's rest. It is not some remote hope, but a hope immediately realizable. Oh, be afraid of missing that. Be very afraid of missing that. Anybody see Fiddler on the Roof? Yes. Two of you. Okay. Is, is it good? Do you remember the scene where they're getting ready for the Sabbath? And they're running around and, and she's like fussing at him. Put that up. Quit it. Stop it. Quit. And they're, they're, they're running around like crazy. Why? Because the Sabbath is about to start at sunset. And what's the Sabbath? Sabbath is rest, right? So get that ready. Get that. Come on. Put that up. You can't do that anymore. Come on. We're lighting the candles. And then when the candles start to light, they start to sing. Right? 
And then everything is washed away and they're standing around the table holding hands with the candles burning and they're praising God for rest. Feels good to do that, doesn't it? You know how many times I've sat in a therapy room with somebody and said, take a deep breath. Just in your nose as far as you can, filling up your belly area and then exhaling as far as you can. Out of your mouth. It is scientifically proven that your heart rate slows as you exhale. And there's a feeling, right? I feel it like right here. Kind of like something gets off my shoulders. A burden is lifted. And that's exactly what he's saying here in Hebrews. The same rest that God experiences... God has ceased from His labor. Now my Father is always working until now and I only do what I see my Father doing. That's in time, right? Showing us what's going on. But the work is done. The work is done. Be very afraid of not experiencing that truth in your life. So then, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And you're like, now wait a second. This guy's going back to those people that fell in the wilderness. And he's saying that we should be scared that we might fall too. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, therefore, since all of this is true that we've talked about this morning, since it's true that some didn't believe and failed to enter God's rest, and since there remains a rest for God's people where they give up their works, therefore, those who have given up their works, those who have rested in Christ, therefore, strive. Again, not what I would have written, not what I'm expecting here. Because you said I'm supposed to rest, but now you're telling me I've got to strive. Can I do both? Yes, absolutely. That word strive is spudazzo, and we saw that word three times in Second Peter. It means to exert oneself. To give diligence to something. And what are we supposed to strive for here? Our salvation? No. Therefore, strive to enter that rest. Experience that rest. Know that rest right now. The rest that you are saved. The rest that the work is finished. The rest that there is nothing left to do. Strive with everything in you by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Strive. To experience that rest when we are sorrowful, when we are scared, when we are downtrodden, when we are happy, when we forget God. In all these things, strive to remember, strive to enter into, strive to experience the rest of God. Not like like we've got some of God and then the rest of God. I mean like the rest that God has promised. This is what it looks like to fear. This is what it looks like to fear. Fear missing the rest. Fear, unbelief, and faithlessness, yes, but also remember, I have believed. My faith, my trust is in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Strive to enter into that. Strive to walk in that mindset. Do everything you can in the power of the Spirit, and that's key, 
to experience this rest. May it be a top shelf priority for you. May it always be on the forefront of your mind. God, I want your rest more than I want anything else. More than what this world offers. More than my plans, my dreams, my hopes. I want to experience your rest today and I want to help others experience that rest as well. Fear missing that. Fear working in your own power instead of resting on the omnipotence of God. Fear that. Pray that way. God, please don't let me miss your rest. That's a great prayer. God, help me. Unveil my eyes so that I might see the finished work of Christ. God, unveil my eyes that I might see what the seventh day was all about. And God, help me to see that in eternity future, the plans of eternity past are already accomplished. And help me to rest in that. Those are good prayers. Fear working instead of resting. For your salvation, for the will of God to be done in your life. Rest in Him. What did Jesus say? He called us to abide in Him. We'll get to that in a few weeks on Wednesday nights. What does abide mean? It means just be still. Be still, my soul. Why? Because what He has promised, He has already achieved. And He will achieve it in you and through you. Because that's how He operates. And the rest that He has promised is promised to those who have put their faith in Jesus. Verse 3 said that this rest is for God's people. And if you are God's person, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, if you've placed your faith in the finished work of Christ, this rest is for you. You say, well, I ain't never done that. This rest is not for you then. The only thing we have for you is a promise of everlasting torment. And I'm going to say that blithely, callously. You'll never have rest until you find your perfect rest in the person and work of Christ. But when you have that, you have perfect rest. John Piper said, these warnings are like road signs. I don't have to worry about the curve if I go 35 miles an hour that it has posted. I don't have to worry about it. At all. Zero. If I try to do 60 and ignore the, the warning sign, eh, back end might get a little loose, right? Yes, it will, by the way. I've done it too many times. These warnings are like road signs. If we abide by them, we will be safe. We will experience everything He has for us to experience. So don't look at them. Do you look at a road sign and go, Oh, no! 35! I've got to step on the brake. What if I don't? No, you, you do it, right? You say, oh, and you rest because you go through the curve nice and easy. These warnings are like those road signs. They're not there to scare us. They're there to tell us how to walk. Rest, Christian. Rest. Application then. Three F's. That's going to sound good on the recording. Fear, fight, and finished. Fear, fight, and finished. So really weird to have an application point of fear. Be afraid. Church, Christian, be afraid. Be afraid of not experiencing God's promised rest. 
And may that fear motivate you to run to Him to help experience that rest. Fear not having and walking in faith in God and His perfect finished work, which we'll get to finish last. But Be very afraid. Be very afraid of not experiencing that rest in your life. And that fear motivates you to go to Him. Paul says this to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians eleven three. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What's this all about? It's literally about trusting Jesus. Be very afraid of not experiencing the rest that comes from trusting wholly and completely and fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I did not say be very afraid that you haven't placed your faith in Him. Be very afraid that maybe He's talking about you as not experiencing that rest. Didn't say that. Writer of Hebrews didn't say that. Holy Spirit did not say that. He did say be very afraid of not experiencing it in your life in the present day. And let that fear motivate you. It's a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Anything else leads us astray. That's fear. Fight. The writer tells us there at the end in verse 11 to strive to enter that rest. The book of Hebrews calls us, the Bible calls us, to a life of continual vigilance and diligence. It is not, okay, I'm saved. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Now, for your salvation, yes. Absolutely. I don't have to do a thing to save myself or to keep myself in Christ. He has done that. It is finished. And now I've got stuff to do. And again, we saw it over and over and over again in First and Second Peter. Strive, fight, pay close attention, immerse yourself. These are biblical commands. And this is not a relying on your own works for your salvation or your favor with God. It's a response to who He is and what He has done. He has given you the keys to the Ferrari. Drive it. Not just to the grocery store. That's cool or whatever, but not much storage space in a Ferrari, by the way. Find some open road and drop the hammer. Right? That's the biblical command on how we're supposed to live. Resting in Christ, and that rest gives us rocket fuel to live our lives. Do something. You said, but you told me to rest. Exactly. And your rest is going to lead you to do something. It's a response to who he is and what he's done. 1 Timothy 4, 15 to 16. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Practice, immerse, uh, keep a close watch on, persist. That's the striving that we're to do. And from the writer of Hebrews, we strive to enter into the rest so that we can do these things well. I'm not working to save myself. I'm not working worried that maybe I'm not saved. I am peacefully at rest knowing that the works of God are finished and I experience His rest so I can go out and do whatever He has called me to do. Perfectly secure in the person and work of Christ. Paul says it this way, familiar passage. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, 
So now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For, why? It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. It is an awesome thing to know that God is at work in us and through us. And so we come and we say, God, I'm at perfect peace with you and who you are and what you've done. Do it through me. And may I not forget to tremble as you're doing it. Because this is you. This is the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, forever, eternity, past, present, and future. Is there present and eternity? I don't know. You're that God. You're the God who spoke things into existence. And I love how people say God shouted at creation. I don't see that. God said, let there be light. Birds. Waves. He did bend down and fashion a man. Like somebody playing with clay. He is omnipotent. It is He who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Don't be afraid of Him. Be in awe of Him. Rest in Him and watch what He does as you immerse yourself in these things, as you fight the good fight of faith, and as you strive to enter into His rest. Fear, fight, and this is my favorite. Favorite F. This is my favorite F. Finished. Listen to me, Christian. Follower of Jesus, those who have placed their faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, listen to me. Everything that needs to be done to have the rest of perfect salvation has been done. There's nothing else you have to do. He did it all. And you can't fight until you've rested in the finished work of Jesus. Until you know it is finished, you can't fight. Alistair Begg shared this from a man named Jeffrey Wilson who wrote a commentary on Hebrews. This is by Jeffrey Wilson. I just heard it in Alistair Begg's sermon. Listen. Keeping in mind that we're talking about finished. The Sabbath was a creation ordinance which placed the day of rest at the end of six days of work. But when Adam sinned, it became impossible for man to attain the rest of God by his own efforts. Therefore, this now required nothing less than a second creation. And by keeping the Sabbath on the first day of the week, which is established in the dying and rising of the Lord Jesus Christ, the people of God gladly acknowledge that their entrance into this rest depends entirely upon the redemptive achievement of Jesus Christ. Jesus changed everything, y'all. The Sabbath went from Friday night, Saturday, to the first day of the week, which is Sunday. This is not the end of the week. This is the beginning of the week. And how do we start our week? In rest. On the Sabbath. And that's a picture of the gospel. We have to start from Sabbath. We have to start from rest. Because we can't do it. I love, love, love 
what we saw in 2 Peter 1. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You have been granted everything you need upon salvation. Now just a side note, Peter follows that with a make every effort exhortation. Those aren't contradictory. You've been given everything, so make every effort. So what's been done? What is finished? I mean, you know, you know what's coming, right? When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Soak that in for a second. It's finished. It is finished is one Greek word. Most of you are probably familiar with it. It's the word tetelestai. What Jesus said on the cross was tetelestai, which we translate as it is finished. The Bible sense lexicon defines that word thusly. To be or become thoroughly or entirely accomplished, conceived of as becoming perfect or complete. James Strong comments on this. It is finished or paid in John 19.30 means Christ satisfied God's justice by dying for all to pay for the sins of the elect. These sins can never be punished again since that would violate God's justice. Sins can only be punished once, either by a substitute or by yourself. And what did Jesus say? It's an accounting term. Paid in full. Finished. I'll finish with this. Watchman Nee says this. At his creation, man stood in a highly significant relation to God's rest. Adam, we are told, was created on the sixth day. Clearly then, he had no part in God's first six days of work, for only at their end did he exist. Thus, God's seventh day was Adam's first day. Whereas God worked six days to enjoy his Sabbath rest, Adam began life with the Sabbath. God works before he rests. Man, to be in harmony with God, must first enter into God's rest, then alone can he work. And he goes on to say, This principle underlies all Christian service. Moreover, it was because God's first creation was so truly complete that Adam's life could have this satisfying starting point. And here is the gospel, Watchman he says, that for us sinners, God has taken one further necessary step and has completed also the entire work of salvation. We need do nothing whatsoever to merit it. At once... By an act of simple faith, we can enter into the Sabbath rest of His finished work.
Your salvation began with a Sabbath rest from your works. And that is a perpetual rest that we are to be afraid that we don't enter or experience into. Enter into or experience. Fight and strive to enter that rest. Fear missing it. Immerse yourself in entering it. And know that God has finished it. Finished it in eternity past. And has given it to you as a perfect loving gift of grace because of the great love with which He has loved us. He has lavished upon us this grace and this rest. Fear not entering that rest. Fight and strive to enter it and rest. Let's pray. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Father, I do pray that we would know what it means to fear missing the rest that you have provided for us perfectly. And I pray that we would, in the power of your Spirit, fight and strive to enter into that rest. And may we know that the work that you have done is finished and we need not work to try to save ourselves. We need not work to try to earn your approval. Christ has done it all. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. It was finished upon that cross. God, if there be those within the sound of my voice who have not placed their faith in the finished work of Christ, may they see their sin and their need for a Savior and may may they see the mighty work of Christ to accomplish that salvation and may they place their faith in Him and rest in Him. We're all sinners. We all need a Savior. And Jesus has died to pay the penalty for the sins of His people. Help us to place our faith in that and give you glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand and receive a benediction. I used it two weeks ago, but I'm going to use it again. Now, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.